Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Today, I'm pleased to welcome a very special guest to the Uncorking a Story podcast, a fellow podcaster. Kathy Kay is a former commitment phobe who currently dishes out unprofessional <laughs> advice to total strangers on the Strictly Anonymous podcast. Welcome to Uncorking a Story, Kathy. Yeah, hi. Listen, I know exactly where you got that bio from. <laughs> where did I get that bio from? In the back of my little cartoon book. That's right. Yeah. I do want to talk about that cartoon yeah, book. Yeah, yeah, we can. <laughs> in a minute, but... So Strictly Anonymous, uh, for, for those of my listeners who may not know what it is, um, how would you describe the Strictly Anonymous podcast? Oh, God, it's like, you know, listen, I, I, the tagline, I think, is like conversations with online strangers. And that's really what it is. If they're conversations, a lot of times I get people being like, oh, you interrupt so much. And I'm always like, I'm not interviewing people. I'm having conversations really with, you know, when I have these conversations, because I'm naturally curious, I never have questions written or anything. I'm just talking to people off the cuff. It's exciting to me to get on this phone with a total stranger and talk to them about like their interesting lives or their secret lives. And it became about sex sort of by accident. Uh, but you know, that's what it is. It's literally like you're listening to conversations between of a total stranger, but about their private secret naughty lives. Right. So where, where did you come up with the idea for it, though? But you said that it wasn't initially about sex, it became about sex. What was it initially about? I mean, I've talked about this before, but it's it was it seriously happened by accident and very backwards. When I got I got into podcasting like seven years ago when it wasn't like it is now where everybody has a podcast. This was seven years ago. A lot of comedians were doing it. I worked in comedy before this, like on the business side of thing. Right. I wasn't a comedian, but they were like, you should start your own podcast. They told me how to do it. I wanted to call an advice show. I didn't have a name or a concept or anything. To me, what it was going to be was people you know, calling in with questions, me giving them their, my advice. Uh, but I didn't know where to get callers from. I didn't want to go out on my Facebook profile at the time because I didn't want anyone to know that I was doing my show because I thought it was going to suck. I was very nervous and I didn't want to suck or fail in front of everybody I knew. I wanted to do it on the DL. So I was like, where could I get people to call in? I needed callers. So I went onto Craigslist and I swear I went on like, like the community board and like all these places and you have to pay for those places. And I was like, I'm not spending 20 bucks to put an ad here. I, you know, and the only place you could do it for free was the personals. And seriously, that's why I put it there. And I have to say, and I've said this before, it was like hitting gold. I got like six, my first five episodes were from my first ad that I ever placed on Craigslist. 
and I taped five episodes in one day. I was fine with that because I'm a talker. My co-host was like so pissed. He was like, I could never do that many calls in one day, but they all came from Craigslist and because it was the personals, they were all sexual in nature and it was, you know, this is what it's going to be. And then I made up the name of the show and then I started changing people's, you know, voices and everything. And all that sort of happened after and it became like this niche thing. But it, well, I, it really was supposed to be a call and advice show about love and sex and stuff like this. But it, it became this because I posted on Craigslist Personals. And then that became the place where I got all my guests. And I had to work, like now I have too many people who want to be on my show. But it, first couple of years, thank God Craigslist didn't go bust like it did recently because I had to work it to find people. You know, yeah. one, one episode a week, I had to like place a lot of ads. The first time I got five people, but sometimes I'd get none. Um, so that's how it came to be. So, so kind of like a, a modern day, the, was the original vision like a, a modern day, you know, love line? Kind of like, yeah, like a call. Yeah, I guess it was the vision. Like, listen, I was always the type of person. I love to analyze things. I like to dig deep. I like to, I'm a problem solver. I like to meet people in the place in their life where they really want the motivation and the desire to change and to solve their problems. I'm not the person you come to, to feel sorry for you. I'm not interested in that. Um, and my friends were really sick of me trying to solve their problems, right? Because not everybody's in that place. So it was kind of like, let me put out of this ad. If I do this show that I'm going to find people that actually want me to analyze them and help them and do what I love to do, which is help people solve their problems, analyze things, talk to people, rip, you know, peel back the layers. So that's really what it was. It was just a way that I could be me without my friends, you know, being really irritated by me. And I mean, it's not like you have a background in, in therapy or counseling. No, right? no, that's my whole thing. My whole thing is I give unprofessional advice. That's in my, you know, bio somewhere on my show. It's This is unprofessional advice. You know, listen, I've been there, done that in a lot of things in my life. So sometimes when it happens to be something that I've been through, I really talk a lot more because I've been through it and I could speak on it. But no, I'm an unprofessional. When I was younger, because I did like, doing this, I thought, oh, I could be a psychologist or something. But I found out very early on that like, you know, as a psychologist, you can't tell people what to do. You have to lead them to it. And that is not what I like to do. I like to have one amazing conversation, give you the thing and then like, go be free and do your life. And hopefully you listen to me, but I want to talk to a problem haver for every week for 10 years. Right, <laughs> you know? right. And yeah. you know, plus the, the the seven years for your PhD plus dissertation uh, uh, yeah. turn off to many people. Yeah, just I just I don't I do like to give my opinion and tell people I would just be highly unprofessional. I like to do it my way. Where on my show I could just tell somebody what I think that I think it is and make crazy assumptions and do what I do and do like this is what friends do with each other. I'm always pitching. Listen, I am not a therapist. I believe in therapy, and I'm always pushing people to go find that therapist after talking to me, right? But that's not who I want to be. I don't want to, uh, you know, problem solve for three years. I want right. to, you know. Yeah, let let the let the uh, smart people at BetterHelp.com, who I think is one of your. Yeah, smart yeah, yeah. I have a promo code strictly. Use that first. <laughs> Use it. Save uh, what 20 percent. That is that. Well, the first <laughs> month, the whole month. That's right. Yeah. First um, so like, well, were you surprised when it went, you know, to a sexual place or to like a super sexual place? I mean, because some of the callers who, who are calling to your show, I mean, just as, as for context, I came across your show. I was in Hartford. It was, it was parents weekend for, for two of my kids who go up to the university of Connecticut. 
And, you know, my wife went down to the gym and she's down there for a long time. So I had some time to kill. Um, so a friend of mine sent me a link to this podcast and it was interesting. It wasn't yours, but then I saw yours <laughs> as sort of a, hey, if you like this show, you might like this show. So I'm like, oh, this yeah, yeah. looks interesting. It's the guy talking about, you know, how he got into the the the, um, the lifestyle, you know, quote. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, now this is fantastic. This is actually really interesting listening. And I felt like it was like so you know, voyeuristic for me to, to hear. Um, and uh, so I'm curious, like when, when, you know, when you started out, did you expect it to go in into that type of direction? No, I was always amazed at the things that would come up. And I mentioned this on, I taped an episode early this morning and I mentioned this to my caller because um, they were talking about a specific kink that they were into. And I said, and this is very true in my life. Listen, I was always very open sexually. I talked about these things. It wasn't like all of a sudden my show came and I was open-minded. I was always open-minded, but, and I, oh, so, and I always had a lot of guy friends and they always told me, we always talked about sex because I was very open about, it. I could care less. So I felt like I knew so much about what people were into and guys, you know, because a lot of times guys don't tell like their girlfriends what they're really doing, but my guy friends would tell me, but when I started to do my show, I found out things about guys that I never knew. And because of the downloads, because I could see the downloads and because I could also see on Craigslist how many ads they were for specific things, I realized that there was so much going on there that none of my guy friends had ever told me about. It's not the mean, it doesn't mean they weren't doing it. It just means they weren't talking about it because these things are really well known. And to this day, I'll still hear something that kind of shocks me or that's new. But I feel like by now, after seven years, I've heard mostly everything. But I learned as I went along and in the first couple of years, it was very interesting to me because I hadn't, I hadn't known about a lot of these kinks and fetishes and things that guys were into. And then, like I said, I could always tell by the downloads what was super popular um, by how many it got. And it, that surprised me for the first couple of years. What were some of those specific things that surprised you that guys were into? pantyhose and foot fetish stuff was very stood out to me a lot in during the craigslist time because when i was looking for ads because like i would post ads and people would respond to me but i would also go and read people's ads and send them emails like hey you want to be on the show um and i can't tell you how many people were on there and now listen now with the downloads it's not like those are highly downloaded the most but there was such a huge presence of those kind of fetishes foot fetish pantyhose fetish um, and then the first thing that came up that was really shocking to me besides the specific fetishes was the, the guy that wants to watch his girl get fucked by another guy. I mean, that was something, like I said, I had never heard of from any of my guy friends. And at the time I had a guy co-host on the phone with me. I, I started off with a co-host and he was a big player. I mean, he had been there, done that most things. And, uh, he was like, I would never, and most guys I knew would like, no way I could never watch my girl with somebody else. But listen, I had those guys calling in and then I would see the numbers of the downloads go off the chart. And so for me, that was like one of the first things I cause it's not so much a fetish as it is a kink, right? That was one of the first kinks that I found out about that. I was like, Whoa. And then, um, everything else followed. Yeah. I mean, just, just hearing a bunch of those stories, on oh, yeah. the show, I'm like, Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. everything from, from, you know, black bulls to, to, to the cuck queens. I'm like, now this is, you know, coming from me, who's been in a monogamous relationship for like 30 right. years. Um, it's like, it, but I can't not stop listening. Like it's yeah, like, and, and so the, interesting, captivating. 
Yeah, and the point of my show, I'm always saying is like, I mean, you know, wherever you live, right? You probably live in suburbia. That's what I think. Uh, you know, these could be your neighbors. I mean, most people don't. It's not like I live in New York City. So I think it's like less unlikely to bump into somebody like that. But I'm telling you, I'm not getting calls always from people in New York City. These are people from all across the country, all across the world. And uh, they could be your cousins. They could be your neighbors. Like, that's what I'm here to say. Like, these things go down, you know? It, it's, it reminds me of a story. I was in uh, uh, Rogers, Arkansas, which is kind of the home of, of Walmart. And um, I was visiting a client at the time um, and uh, a former colleague, and he had just moved out there from, from the Northeast. Yeah. And I said, so, hey, man, what's, what's going on in here? How do you like it? Um, he's like, I got to tell you, it's a little different. I said, well, yeah, I mean, you're, you're in like Rogers and Bentonville, Arkansas. Yeah. He's like, you know, um, there's not a lot to do out here. I said, I get it. You know, there's not like some, some great theater and stuff like that. He's like, yeah, not just that, Mike. Um, he's like, there's a big swinging community out here. See? And I said, I'm there's not much else. And he said, that's exactly right. Yeah. So he's like, you know, if you know, um, now he did not admit to being part of this lifestyle, but he said, there's, you know, there's a code. And if you have a certain, you know, rock on your front porch, that means that you are in the community. And this is yeah. what people were doing to sort of entertain themselves. Yeah. Uh, now, now, the closest I ever got to this was like watching the ice storm, you know, with uh, uh. the movie. And, um, and, and that show Swingtown, which was on a few years ago. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm like, wow. And there are so many of your callers who call in talking about being part of the lifestyle. And, and the one observation I have, and I'm, I'm curious as to your take, that couples who are sort of in that lifestyle, who have stuck with it, not who like dipped their toe in it and, and left, um, but who stick with it, it seems like they're almost stronger as a couple as a result of being part of the lifestyle. Did, do you have that takeaway also? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I always say I love a swingers gone wrong story. They're like super hilarious. But what I love more so is when I get the couple on that talk about how it's strengthened their relationship. <clears throat> I'm sure there's people that that's not the case that I, I have had those on, but I have more on uh, that talk about how, you know, it did strengthen their relationships on all levels, not just the sexual level, right? Of course, they're having better sex because of it, but, you know, it helped them across the board. And that's always interesting to me. And I think that that's interesting for people to hear. Yeah. And to me, like when I, when I hear, you know, I'm, I'm a market researcher by training and I'm, so I'm, I'm always listening and analyzing the stories and trying oh. to find patterns. So when I hear a bunch of these interviews with you know, people in lifestyle, what I hear most often is it's helped us communicate better. Yeah. And, you know, for, for some couples like, you know, self-included here, communication is for whatever reason so such a challenge uh, yeah for sure between couples do you hear that too yeah and i think the difference between the couples that aren't communicating you know in the bedroom and doing these things afterwards and having that great relationship they're not communicating as well outside you know and so it has to be i think the communication what a lot of these couples have is they have that communication before they even started doing it you know that it was very open and they were very trusting of each other and they had a very solid relationship, healthy relationship. Those are the couples I think that fare the best. That doesn't mean to, that doesn't mean that a couple that doesn't have great communication doesn't have a solid foundation, right? But you know, if you've gone 
so long and you that kind of fell off the wayside, that's going to be hard to go into swinging because that has to really be there. So I think that it, and a lot of people, you know, talk a lot during sex with each other. Like they talk about like naughty fatty fantasies and something, but somebody said something recently on my show that I thought was interesting. And he was like, you know, you have to take those conversations outside of the bedroom, not just when you're in the heat of things. And I think that's what people don't do uh, because when you're in the heat of fashion, to me, it's like, you're drunk you're in a different state and then you come and then you're like back in reality. And they're like, oh, you know, you don't even want to think about what you were thinking about, but that's, you have to be able to communicate about what you want to do in your fantasies and moving forward in, in your regular state. And then you'll be able to move over and do those kind of things and most likely be successful at it and have it lead to more intimacy. Like I said, in every area of your relationship. Yeah. And I know you talk to so many, you know, couples and individuals, um, you know, who have even left relationships. And and when you hear those stories, I'm curious, you know, how much of it could be the fact that they just had a hard time communicating with their partner about what their wants were, or they felt that their partner wasn't listening to what their kind of wants and needs were. Do you have a take on that? Yeah. Or they were too afraid to bring it up. I think that there's a big thing with that. You know, you've been with someone for so long, you've had this secret kinky fantasy and you're just so you know I think people's biggest fear is that your partner's going to look at you and be like oh you're so gross or you're so weird and that could happen right but maybe that's that first conversation but if you keep talking about it maybe then they loosen up and you could start you know fantasizing together I don't know but a lot of people have that issue is that way I feel like I got off track what was the question no no no, no you're 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 right on track but it's it, it, it kind of it's back to like, you know, couples not having a hard time kind of communicating about sex. Yes. Um, and, you know, I hear there's there's a, a big push for like mental health awareness, right? I mean, I, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts, BetterHelp is all over the place. Um, also just in, in, you know, mental health awareness is, it's, it's a big topic in society. I'm wondering about sexual health awareness because I feel like we, you know, I could, I could speak as sort of, again, guy who's been, you know, married for, 22 years and in a relationship for 30, um, you know, it is, it is hard sometimes to talk about sex. Um, and I'm just wondering, like, what can we do? Like if, if we have this big focus on mental health, like, should we have the same kind of focus on sexual health? Yeah. I think that they go hand in hand because I can't tell you how many guys, I have a thing where I'll talk to you off air, you know, people pay for those calls and sort of consulting. That's like my therapy that I'm professional therapy that I do. But a lot of those guys that are calling me are unhappy because there is no sex happening anymore in their marriages, right? So that that go that does go hand in hand. Listen, sex is not a, the whole piece of the pie if you're married, right? It's just one piece of it. But if that piece is missing, and a lot of times it is after a couple's been married for 30 years and you're not talking anymore, and you, you know, life just takes you in so many different directions when you get older, then there's there's people get depressed and they're not happy. And then, you know, and so I think they go hand in hand for sure. Because those are the people that are calling me. And these guys are unhappy because, like I said, their lack of their their sexual intimacy and their so for sure I think it goes hand in hand. Yeah, Sometimes. yeah. Um, I, I'm curious. What what are some of the the big things you've learned just in general about the human condition just by by talking to to people on your show? Oh my god, that's a big question. It's a good question. I'm like, what have I learned? It's you know because my thing is so specific to. SEX, you know, I'm always learning, you know, like today I talked to a cup queen again, 
you know, and it, no, it, it was the white bull who I talked to a white bull today. I've had a lot of black bulls. I've had a white bull on today. I don't, I don't know when this airs, when that episode's going to air, but you know, and his perspective of where he was coming from and how he felt and what his rules and boundaries and morals towards, you know, being a white bull were. And it's always interesting to me to hear different ones. I personally think everyone is so different. That's why, listen, I could talk to a million couples that or a hundred couples who are swingers and I'm there, each one is going to be unique and different and each one is into different things and it's always a different story. So it's hard to say I, I, that I learned one big thing. I learned something different every time I talk to somebody, you know, so there's so many, it's, and what's, what I like is learning something about the actual person, you know, yeah. like personal keep, I, I like to keep things very one-on-one, -on -one, like about the person, then bigger picture. Right. So and what uh, I learned that, you know, people do a lot of things that you don't know about. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they don't talk. I, you know what I learned? Don't let your wife go away on a vacate on a business trip because the shit that I've heard that guys do the minute that wife is out the door. I mean, I can't even tell you. It's just really? stuff like that, you know, it's like always crazy to me. And then the place where wait, sorry, the place where people hide things, that's always one of my favorite questions. Like, you know, someone will be like, Oh, I kept a book of all the pantyhose I stole or all the pregnant escorts I fucked. And I'm like, where is this book? Oh, you know, in my closet. I'm like, your wife shares that closet with you. Like, are you crazy? So you know, like I like to know how people's brains work because it's always so interesting to me. And they work, everyone's works differently. I mean, in situations like that, I mean, do you think people are just asking to get caught or hoping to get caught? Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes I do think, oh, you know, you want to get caught subconsciously. You're bringing that on because maybe you're done with this situation. I, I like to dig into things like that. Each case is different. I don't think that's always across board. I think some people are just, you know, dum-dums. But a lot of times I think if someone is so blatant like that, you know, it can be that, you know, they want to get caught on like a subconscious level. And I warn them about that. These are the kind of like, that's how deep I will go sometimes when I'm talking to somebody. Right. You know? Yeah. I think even you have it in your opening, you know, the best advice I can give you is to hide your whips and chains. Hide your whips and chains. That was one of my first five uh, emails that I got from the BDSM guy. He was great. Um, he, yeah. And he hit it in the back seat, and I'm like, you're going to get in an accident one day and the cops are going to go, you know, that's my mind. I think like that. So. That's right. Yeah. What's this yeah. cat nine tails doing, uh, <laughs> sir? Yeah, totally. <laughs> oh God. Or to me, it's like, you know, I watch a lot of Dateline too. And, you know, you always hear these poor stories of these like really wealthy guys who were, you know, maybe had 10 babies in another country or they were carrying on these really like illicit sexual lives and then they die or they get murdered and all this shit comes out. And then what are they known for? Just that, you know, and imagine their wives, you know? And so I think I was like really early on when I started to find out the things that people were doing, I'm like, I need like a, to like set up a cleaning up service. Like, you know, that person dies and like someone goes in and like clean shit up so that nobody finds out because to me, the worst thing because I'm super non-judgmental about what people do for sex. To me, the worst thing to me is that people define somebody by stuff like that. You know, they find out that the guy, the coach of that team was getting happy ending massages. And now that's all he is. He's not the successful person that did a million other great things in his life because people can't get past a jerk that he wanted to get jerked off by someone other than his wife, like big deal. But so I hate for somebody, you know, to get busted on this one thing that they're doing and then be defined by it. So there really needs to be a cleanup service or if someone's doing those kind of things, you know, hide your shit, you know, like, because what's going to happen is like your poor wife is just only going to remember you for that and that you do yourself a disservice. So, you know, that's yeah, the kind of stuff. 
it's almost like you want, yeah, who is it? Harvey Keitel's character from Pulp Fiction, the wolf, to come in yes. and do a little cleanup. Yeah, cleanup. Yeah, I have a really wealthy friend. I was like, I'll put, be your cleanup girl. Just like, tell me where your shit is. I'll get rid of it. You know, no reason for anyone to know. Or because, like I said, I think that then people just think, you know, because people don't hear these things. They don't know. And people are still so, Americans are still so, you know, prudish when it comes to sex that they're like, oh my God. And, you know. It, it shouldn't be that way. Well, I mean, I just learned that that people have a king for pregnant escorts. Yes, I mean, not a lot, but you know, it was a fun episode. I mean, it was really interesting that guy, and he did have a he had something that he had hidden. He was a doorman, a ginger doorman in New York. I'll never forget his call. He was a, it was an interesting one, and yeah, he loved pregnant women and pregnant escorts. <laughs> um, you know, just thinking about the the sort of the storytelling side of things, and kind of you know kind of dealing with success um, through the podcast. Um, how have you managed that? Have you, have you kind of turned it into a business and kind of dealt with the success you've had? Well, I have to say, you know, early on, like my numbers were good. It's like sex sells kind of thing. So it wasn't like I ever in the beginning ever had to promote or anything. I kind of steadily grew. I mean, I didn't start out like huge and I'm still not huge, but I was, I was always able to get a good enough audience because people were always Googling sex and people would find my show just because of the topics. And, um, but I really, I didn't even think to monetize my show until like a year ago. And it turns out when I did try to monetize my show, like I'm making a lot of money and doing really well with my show once I started because I'd just been doing it so long. I could have been monetizing probably five years ago. Um, but it really became for me, I had to really focus on that aspect of it. I mean, obviously I've been doing this for seven years and I never made a dime of it up until six, you know, after six years. So I was obviously doing it because I loved to do it and I enjoy doing it. Um, but really to turn it into a business and you can, you know, and to make it a full-time gig and be a podcaster and make the money, you just have to focus on that aspect too. But I think creating good content and, you know, doing all that groundwork ahead of time, you have to do that too. I remember very early on, my co-host was like two months into it. When are we going to get famous? And when are we going to start making money? And when can we get sponsors? It's like, you got to be kidding me. You know, like that doesn't just happen. You have to build an audience. You have to figure out what you're doing, learn to do it right. I mean, listen, I still will interrupt people but i think i do it a lot less than you know five years ago so well, like, you know but sometimes you have to i mean either yeah. way, like, to get the uh the conversation back on track or just pull something out of somebody because people yeah. do have a tendency to, ra to, to ramble sometimes yeah i'm not talking to i have a friend who's a podcaster very successful uh like a bravo show kind of thing and his show and he's you know talking to celebrities, it's a lot easier for them to talk and you don't have to guide it. They're professionals. You know, I'm talking to regular people. I had a good, the guy, the white bull I was talking to said, I'm like every other word. I was like, he, he stopped saying, um, he's like, yeah, I'm sorry. This is my first interview. I'm like, I get it. I say right all the time. And I edit, edit every single one out. Like we're just regular people having conversations. And so that kind of thing always comes into play, but yeah. And I always say, listen, I interrupt because I, I am genuinely interested in what the people who are talking to me are saying, you know, I'm not just doing this for numbers or for headlines. I'm doing it because I'm actually interested in what they're saying. So for me, I interrupt because I'm passionate and I want to get in the conversation. I want to know more. So yeah. people that want to complain. 
And I think most interviewers do that. When I'm listening to the really good ones that love people, and they're not interviewers, the people that have recovery, they do it too. Because you, if, you, if you're a real people person and you're really engaged in a conversation, every now and then you're going to interrupt somebody. Okay. I'm not, like I said, I'm not an interviewer. I'm having a conversation. Two people talk. That's what I try to tell these fuckers on YouTube when they're, you know, commenting. I'm like, I'm sorry, this is a conversation. You're going to hear me talk to you. And if you don't like it, you know, what can I do? Yeah, you want it to sound like a hang, like like yeah. two people who've known each other for a long time, kind of catching up versus, you know, Charlie Rose or something like that. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. What what so since you've been able to monetize the podcast, have you been able to to kind of, you know, stop, you know, quote unquote a day job, or is that still part of your life or? No, I mean, I could, this, this, I make a very good full-time like salary doing this. It's full-time now at this point, I, all day long, I could be working. I mean, I, I was looking to hire, um, somebody to come in and help me just to even take it to the next level. Cause I just make more if I produce more episodes a week, but it's, it's definitely a full-time job and I make a really good money doing it for sure. You have to put in the work. Like I said, you have to have a certain numbers. Um, but if you really do it consistently and do it the right way, you could definitely monetize and make a very good living doing it. I try to teach to many people over the years to do podcasts. And then, you know, a lot of times they do a lot of things wrong and none of them really succeeded. <laughs> um, I have to ask, cause I'm, I'm a big fan of comedy. I, I was yeah. very active in um, sort of the Connecticut and somewhat of the New York comedy scene uh, pre COVID um, doing standup. I'm curious as to what what your career was in uh, in in the stand-up world in the comedy world. I worked I worked at a huge agency, a talent and literary agency, like one of the biggest. I worked as an assistant to the head of comedy for many years, so I knew a lot of really famous comedians that way. I also then worked for big comedy, but you know, I I worked in it, like I was in it at the top companies, like working with comedians. So that was my thing before. And that's, like I said, it was one comedian, Robert Kelly. He was a comedian who was the one who was like one of my really good friends. And, you know, I used to actually, even before I worked at those ages, I worked at a cocktail, which is a cafe. Right next door was the comedy cellar. And we all hung out like Dave Attell. We used to go out with drinks with and Jeffrey Ross and all those guys were working there when I was there. Um, and then I was, when I started working in the agenting world and working in, I worked in a small talent and literary agency. I was like, I want to work for your, I remember it was Jeff Ross. I was like, I want to work for your agent. And I'm like, who's your agent at, you know, where you're working. I don't want to say the exact company. And he told me, and literally like a year later, I was working for that agent, not through him, but it just all worked out that way. Was, was Cafe Wa the place owned by David Lee Roth's uncle? I think David Lee Roth had a thing with him, but yeah, it's the same people that own. Yes, I think so. And it's the same, it's literally the, it's the same people that work that own the comedy seller. Got it. Got yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about Bob Kelly because I noticed in your, in your book, he had a, he had a quote or a blurb in it. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I was, I was curious to know like how you, how you knew Bob Kelly. Um, and I guess you just answered it. But. Yeah. We were, we we're best of friends. Like I met him because he used to do cafe. Listen, when I was working at cafe, while Ray Romano was coming in and doing $50 sets, that's who Ray Romano was that nobody then, you know, but he was really fucking funny. You couldn't come into the cafe while and do your sets unless you were at a certain level, you know, cause it was a, it was a crazy place. But so he was there, Robert Kelly, Robert Kelly, Jim Norton, they were all there. And so Robert Kelly and me were really good friends. And then I was on his podcast a bunch of times and we always talked on the phone and he was like, oh, you should have your own show. And he really helped me. Um, and he's been on my show a bunch of times. Uh, he moved out of the city when he had a baby. He was like, oh, when you have a kid, Kathy, you're going to move out too, but I'm still here. And he left. So 
We've kind of yeah. lost a little bit, but you know, he's someone I knew forever. I represented him. I got him all his credits on his uh, resume, his first, uh, you know, law and orders, all that stuff. I used to be like his agent. I hip pocketed him at the, at the agency um, and got him on a lot of gigs. And I always, let me tell you, Robert Kelly is a great actor. And I was somebody who always noticed that in him. And when I would submit him, the casting directors would be like, oh my God, he's like amazing. Um, and he was a really good actor and I really helped him and I was always on his side uh, because I thought he was really super talented and I loved his comedy. And, but he, what he had too that a lot of comedians don't have is because he's an amazing actor as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I, I always enjoyed him. I, I used to hear him on Opie and Anthony and then, you know, the, yeah. the Anthony Cumia show kind of after that. Um, yeah, I wound up on the Opie and Anthony show once because they had Joe DeRosa on and they sent me, it was like a whole uh you know what dude podcast episode that was like really salacious back in the day they called it i think like the best episode ever and it was uh, they sent me and joe DeRosa on a date and then we went back and me and joe DeRosa talked about the date and the date went horribly wrong and then we had a big fight and then joe was really mad and he went on opie and anthony and i was like getting death threats on twitter and everything and i was like really excited because i was early on and i wanted like you know uh, twitter followers and stuff but it was really kind of hilarious <laughs> Yeah, I, I do. I do miss the Opie Anthony show. I mean, that was uh, in the yeah. 90s and uh, into the 2000s, kind of got me to and from work and, and and afternoon drive when they were doing the afternoon drive stuff. Yeah, their audience is a little scary. I mean, that, like I said, I got death threats from those people, but like, whatever. Right, right, so right. That was my comedy thing, but I hadn't, I haven't done that in a while, actually, but I, I kept the connections. You know, I still talk to a lot of people in that world. Sure. Well, as we wrap up here, tell me a little bit about the book you wrote, um, the graphic novel. I'm oh, curious about that. I not only wrote it, I drew it. Oh, look at that. I like the artwork on the cover, not going to lie. Yeah, it's like, these are, you know, I wrote it and drew it. And, you know, it, I had an agent, everything. Um, this is, and I did this a long time ago. Uh, I'm not a writer and I can't draw, but I wrote and drew a book. I, it's all stick figures. There's a lot of SCX in it because, and what it is is basically like my losing my virginity story, which is kind of crazy to the time I turned 40 and just like every bad relationship in between I mean the tagline is a bunch of love gone very wrong stories and it, you know and I cartooned them all out and I didn't and I literally had an agent for that book I thought oh my god there's gonna like be a bidding war and not one person picked it up because they were like she has no platform you know and that's just the way that it goes now and I realized now we should have pitched it as like you know not a true it's not about somebody maybe it would have been a made-up book would have been better um but I really probably should promote it more on my show because it really would tell people a lot more about me. It is uh, biographical. So, you know, I forget to advertise it a lot, but I wrote that many years ago. Run Robert Kelly, we were great friends. He wrote on there, a guy named Josh Septel, who was like a big producer and stuff. Like he wrote something on here too, because he was one of the first people that read it. It was basically a like this, a stack of papers, like this big of Sharpie magic markers. I drew the whole book in a Sharpie magic markers. And he was like, Kelly, this is like an amazing book. Like you need to send this out, but it has to be in a computer. So then I had, like, I do everything backwards. Then I had to like redraw it and then learn how to scan and do all this stuff. And then I turned it, you know, and then I got an agent and she loved it too, but it was like, who the fuck are you? That's what the publisher said. So now that I do have like a really big audience, I should sell, but it's always there. So you never know what could happen with my little book. Yeah, I was, I was, of course, going to mention that since the holidays are upon us, I always say books make <laughs> gifts. So where, where can people buy your book? On Amazon. I'll give the link on my show. I should. It's on Amazon. It's the cartoon misadventures of a total train wreck. Those stories are all true. Like I said, there's a lot of sex in it, but because they're stick figures, drawings, 
right? Like I could get away with a lot. It's not gross, you know, but when sex is, in, it's in, there's a lot of stuff in there and it's really good. And each story, what I like about it, because it's the way I like to read, you could read different chapters at different times. You don't have to read it from beginning to end. Each chapter has a beginning, a middle and an end. Um, but if you read the whole story, you see, uh, you know, the, the whole journey of this character, which happens to be me. And, you know, there are a lot of my audience because I'm anonymous and I don't really talk about myself a lot on my show. They really want to know so much about me. So now I'm like, oh, you know, I probably should be saying more so to them. Like, if you want to know more about me, go get my book because there's mm-hmm. a lot of information there. But I don't talk about myself on my show. It's not about me. Right. It's about, it's about your guests, which is why I think it works. So why I think it works so well. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. Uh, so we've been talking about the strictly anonymous podcast. Where can people go to listen to strictly anonymous? Any podcast app, you know, I'm on them all Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeart, you know, wherever it, you find, you listen to podcasts, strictly anonymous podcast is there. You could also go to YouTube. I love YouTube as a platform for my show. I see this all the time because there is a comment section and I love to hear from my listeners. I mean, I never really realized before I became someone who created something and put it out there, how much, you know, your fans and people that listen to your stuff mean to, or, you know, somebody like, I don't know, I just love hearing from people. I really do. Um, and to hear people's comments about it. And that, though, all of that happens on YouTube because of the comment section. So I could really interact with my listeners and people could talk about things a lot of times the person who is on my show is on there. So if you really want to comment on the episodes, hear from, talk to me about the episodes as well as my uh, guests, fi- find my show on YouTube. It's Strictly Anonymous Podcast, same thing on YouTube. Um, all my episodes are up there as well. Well, there we go. Well, Kathy K, I'll give you the Jerry Springer final thoughts. Do you have any final thoughts uh, you want to share with the audience? No, I think that, you know, it's, it's fun to do, be on the other side of things, you know, thank you for having me on your show. I think you might, a lot of my listeners will come on and listen here because like I said, I don't do a lot on my show. So they'll come to your show to find out. And so, you know, but thanks for giving me that opportunity because, you know, it's not only going to be great for your, I think that my audience will like it too. So, you know, it's been fun for me. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Kathy. Okay. Bye.